Well, we've had a couple of weeks break from our series of lessons on the essential doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we'll return to that series this morning. And the essential doctrine that we're going to consider this morning is really the bedrock of all the other doctrines that we've studied thus far and that we will study yet in the future, because it has to do with the reliability of the source of our doctrine. And what is that source? What is the fountain of truth? It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. And if that source, if that fountain of truth is not reliable, then our doctrines are not reliable. But then, of course, the opposite is true. If we can trust the Bible to be what it says that it is, what it declares itself to be, the Word of God, the Word that comes from God, If that's reliable, then the doctrines, the teachings, the instructions that we have in the Bible are trustworthy, and we can base our life on it, on our decisions, and know that we will be found right when it's all said and done because our source, our foundation is right. And so the doctrine that we're going to consider this morning is the inerrancy of the Bible, the Word of God. Is it true? How do we know that it's true? And then, of course, there are two companion doctrines, teachings that go along with that, and and that is that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, that this is what we have in the Bible is what God wanted to communicate to us about himself, about us, and about his eternal purposes for mankind. And if that's true, then we come to this final conclusion that the Bible is the final authority for everything that we believe, our doctrine. Again, it's such a theological term that we use all the time, but it simply means what God wants to teach us about himself, about us, and about that eternal redemption that he purchased for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Many essential doctrines today have been abandoned by Christendom as a whole. Many denominations that at one time were actually the, the denominations, the churches, the assemblies that proclaimed truth, many of those churches and denominations now have abandoned truths, doctrines that are fundamental for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason that they abandon those doctrines is because they abandon this bedrock doctrine that the Bible is without error. And so they begin to pick and choose what they want from the Bible. Well, this is true, but I, I don't believe that. And, when you, and this is why we see such apostasy in the church today. And this is why among evangelicals, there's so many different churches with so many sets of doctrines. It's because over time, apostasy has set in. And apostasy comes about when you begin to deny the authority of the Bible that it has the right to tell us what to believe and how to conduct ourselves. Many who consider themselves Christians today no longer believe in the Genesis account of creation. No, we don't believe that. We, We believe science. We believe evolution. And so I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, but I reject Genesis and its account and, and that of the flood and the Red Sea crossing and the history of Jonah. That, that's just a fable. That, that didn't really happen. 
the virgin birth. See, once you begin to chip away at what you're going to accept and what you're going to reject, then you can accept or reject anything you want. And so now many churches, many denominations reject the very virgin birth of Jesus Christ, his literal resurrection. Many churches no longer believe that or teach that. And there are so many that that do not believe in the literal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these are doctrines that the Bible teaches. And many have chosen to say, well, that's not correct. That's error. That's not true. To, to justify the rejection of the authority of the Bible, they begin to choose things that will allow them to fulfill their own carnal appetites. They want to do what they want to do, and yet they want to still claim the blessing of God. They believe in a creator. They want God's blessing, but they want to do and live however they want. And so they have to begin to reject the authority of the Bible. Well, I know what the Bible says, but saints, that can't be our attitude. Either the Bible is what it declares itself to be, or it's a lie. There's no gray area here. And this is where we all individually have to to make a choice. Certainly, as an assembly and the leadership of an assembly, we have to make some choices. But it really boils down to every individual. Who and what do you accept as the authority that has the right to tell you how to live your life? Many will say, I'm my own boss. Don't tell me what to do. The pastor doesn't have the authority to tell you what to do. I don't have that authority. I've been given the authority to proclaim the will of God. I do have that authority. And then it's up to you and every individual who hears God's word to accept or to reject. Is that authority valid in my life? The definition of inerrancy that we're going to use, it's one that that, uh, I found in Systematic Theology, a book that uh, I agree with this definition. The inerrancy of Scripture means that Scripture in the original manuscripts, and that is key for us to understand, in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. In other words, the Bible is never wrong. Never. And, and this is a doctrine that we have to be firm on. Oh, we're going we're gonna to mess up a lot of things. We're going to mess up our life. We're going to mess up of the life of those around us. If we don't stand on this firm foundation, the Bible is never wrong. I didn't say Brother Doug is never wrong. I didn't say Abundant Grace Fellowship is never wrong. I said the Bible is never wrong. It's always right in its original form as it was given to those authors that was inspired by God. Let's go to Psalm 119. Let's read at least three declarations of Scripture here, what the Bible says about itself. And again, if this isn't true, then it's a lie. And the Bible is a lie. It's what the world says. And they are right if the Bible is ever wrong. But in Psalm 119 and verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth. I want to make sure everybody finds the reference. Psalm 119 and verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Because truth never changes. 
That's quite a declaration, isn't it? Is it true? Do we believe that? Second Timothy chapter 3, let's go to the New Testament. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul tells us in Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, teaching, for reproof, it has the right to tell you what's wrong, for correction, it has the right to tell you how to make it right, for instruction in righteousness, it has the right and the authority to train you to live right. Why? Why? Why should we acknowledge that authority of the Bible in our life? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to be what God intended for you to be, your creator, you need to know the word of God and let it govern your life. It is that simple. One more passage in Second Peter and verses, verse 21 of, of chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God, the Bible, is God-breathed. It is inspired by God. God moved men, not independent of their personality, not independent of their writing styles, but he inspired them to write down what he, what God, wanted to communicate to the human race. That's what the Bible declares about itself. In addition to the, the, the definition that I gave earlier, another commentary reads this way. So what we affirm in this definition, the same definition I read earlier, the Bible's never wrong. What we affirm in this definition is that a perfect God moved human authors by his spirit to perfectly transcribe what he, God, wanted to communicate. It's important to note that this definition does not apply to the transmission of Scripture through the ages and the translation into other languages. We affirm that only the original autographs are inerrant. In other words, we acknowledge that as the Scripture was copied over the years, and as it was translated into different languages, yes, there are some things that are incorrect. But as even with that admission, acknowledgement, we also declare that God has watched over his word and that the contradictions and the corruptions in the translations that have occurred do not impact as we do the, the scholarship to follow back to the original manuscripts, there is no area of Scripture that ever come. there's no fundamental doctrine that ever comes into question by any of those corruptions in translation. I don't know if I communicated that properly or not, but in other words, God still watched over the, tra the transmission, the copying, and the translating of His Word over the years. But it does take some study. This is why we, we don't just accept every version that, that comes along, because there are many versions. We have to compare those versions and go back as far as we can to get as close as we can to the original manuscripts. But we have this confidence 
that there is no fundamental doctrine that ever comes in question by any of those corruptions. The Bible has authority. Jesus repeated a, a statement from the Old Testament in Matthew 4, 4. There's a lot of these scriptures I'm just going to have to, references I'll have to give to you. We don't have time to look at them all. But Jesus repeated what was stated in the Old Testament. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how important this Bible is. It's as if God himself was standing in our midst and speaking to us. There are many that say, well, you know, if God himself would tell me this, that you're telling me, Brother Doug, if God himself would be in front of me and tell me, then I'd believe it. And I have to say, no, you wouldn't, because this is God's word. He has said it. And if it's in his word, then you need to accept it. You need to obey it. Not because anybody else tells you that, but because you acknowledge that your very life and being, your existence depends on your creator, and you accept his word just as that. T today, there are many religions, not only the Catholic religion, but even among evangelicals. The authority for what a person is to believe or how they are conducting them themselves is up to the leaders. They'll tell you what to do. They'll tell you how to act, when to do it, how to do it. But if any preacher, pastor, priest, bishop, or pope tries to tell you that their word has more authority than the Bible, they're blasphemers. Only God has that authority. And because God has inspired the Bible, the Bible has that authority to tell us what to believe and how to conduct ourselves. And to pretend to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ and reject different parts of the Bible and say, well, I, I, you know, I like this part. I like when Jesus says, love everybody. I, that's a good thing. But all of these other things and how we're to live and our moral lifestyle and everything, I don't agree with that. I think God has a different plan. Do you realize how many within Christendom have that, that response when we talk about the authority of the Bible? But to say you're a follower of Jesus and reject any part of the Bible, you're a hypocrite. Because Jesus over and over affirmed both the authority and the accuracy of both the Old and the New Testament. Over and over again, Jesus referred to the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets, the Old Testament. Over and over, he referred to them as being true and right. He referred to the Genesis account of creation. He spoke of it as being fact. He spoke of Jonah and his experience, and he spoke of it as a real experience, one that was going, one that was a shadow of what his experience was going to be with his death and resurrection. All of these and he spoke of Noah and the flood. All of these, he was confirming the accuracy of the Old Testament account. In Jesus' last conversation, when you have time, read Luke 24 and verses 44 through 49, where Jesus, after his resurrection, he was walking with a couple of his disciples, and he talked about how that all of these things, his, his trial, his beating, his crucifixion, and his resurrection— all of these were written in the law of Moses, Jesus said, and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. 
All the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus Christ and what he was going to do to redeem the human race. He was confirming the accuracy of the Old Testament. So to reject the Old Testament as true is to call Jesus a liar, which is blasphemy. So again, for those who pretend to be disciples of Jesus and reject the Old Testament, well, that's not true. They're calling Jesus a liar. Jesus also affirmed the revelation that he was going to give to his disciples that would become the New Testament. In John 16, if you want to jot this down, John 16, 12 to 15, Jesus told them, I have many things to tell you while he was still on earth with his disciples, but you're not ready to receive it. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to reveal to you the things that are mine. The things I want you to know as my followers, the Holy Spirit reveal these to you and you're, you're to pass them on. And so Jesus was affirming here that the writers of the New Testament were writing under the inspiration of God, under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. These same men in 2 Peter 3 verses 16 and 17, these same men that, that Jesus chose to write scripture, Peter here acknowledges that God also chose the Apostle Paul, and Peter refers to Paul's writings as Scripture. He, he lumps them together with all of Scripture. So Peter here is acknowledging that Jesus called Paul to be the Apostle to the Gentiles, to us. Paul in Galatians 1 and verses 11 and 12, he says, So, the message that I received, I didn't receive from men. I didn't go to seminary to learn this. Others didn't teach me. Now, Paul was a very educated man in religion, in the Jewish religion. He went to seminary. He knew all the Old Testament. But not until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus did he understand what that was all about, what God was revealing about Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I didn't receive this message, this teaching, this message from man. I received it directly from God. And God made that clear by all the many miracles that Paul did. It was evidence that God chose him to be the apostle of the church age. So Paul says, if anyone comes and preaches anything contrary to this message that God gave me for the church, it's not a gospel. They call it gospel, but it's not a gospel. It's a cursed message, and this is why it's, it's so important for us to be established in sound doctrine. We talk about it all the time, sound doctrine. But why is it so important for us to know what we believe and why we believe it, and that the Bible is that authority? Because to reject any part of the Bible is to reject something that God has revealed for your good and for his glory. We also know that after the Apostle Paul and his message that was given, if you want to turn to Colossians 1, 25 and 26, after the revelation that was given to the Apostle Paul, how do we know that the Bible is complete? How do we know that, for example, what Joseph Smith declared that Jesus gave him a new revelation for the church? How do we know that he's not correct? How do we know that that's not Scripture too, the Book of Mormons, or any other book that comes along that is in addition to the Bible after Paul finished his ministry. How do we know that there's no more Scripture? First of all, anything that contradicts what we know to be the Scripture must be false. 
because God can't lie. And many of those other books that claim to be Scripture, they contradict what we find in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we immediately reject it. We, we, we don't have to do a, an in-depth, well, is this really Scripture or not? If it contradicts what we have from Genesis to Revelation, just throw it out, period. But also we have this statement in Colossians 1.25. Paul says, of which I became a minister, this dispensation of grace, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, for the church, to fulfill. The word there means to complete, to make full. What? The word of God. What God wanted to say to the human race, he has already said. He's not going to say anymore. In fact, if you choose to reject truth, he says he'll see to it that you swallow the biggest lie that was ever perpetrated on the human race. And that is a mortal man is God, the Antichrist. You reject truth, you're going to swallow anything. You're going to swallow a lie. Paul says he was given this message to fulfill, to complete, to make full the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Saints, we live in a wonderful age. Everything God wants to tell us, we've already been told. We just have to believe it. We just have to accept it. It's infallible because God is infallible. He cannot lie. Psalm 119 God's word can be trusted to be true in all of its claims and instructions, all of them. Psalm 119, verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies, which you have commanded, are righteous and very faithful. So if we say what the Bible says, we'll always be found to be true, even when everybody else calls us a liar or simple or foolish for believing the Bible. Paul said in Romans 3, 4, let every man be a liar, but God be true. The world will try to intimidate us into rejecting the authority of the Bible. They will say you're foolish. They will say you're outdated. It's outdated. And so you are outdated and you are a detriment to the progress of society because you believe the Bible. Let every man be a liar and God be true. Because when that's your understanding, you will always be found to be right. When you say what the Bible says, when it's all said and done, you'll be found to be true, justified in your words. So in every area of our life, every relationship, every thought, our opinions, we love our opinions, don't we? I got a few. You want to hear them? No, you don't. Every thought and opinion has to be dictated by the word of God. That means we have to submit. That means at times we have to repent. The Bible will transform how we think, how we talk, how we interact in every relationship in life, if we accept its authority. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he said, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Every thought. You ever have the Holy Spirit convict you about some thoughts you've had about people or things or situations? How you reacted to certain things? Let the Word of God take those thoughts captive and submit them 
to God's thoughts and God's ways. I want to encourage our children and our young people who will be challenged, are being challenged by the world, by teachers, by employers, by co-workers, to deny that the Bible is true. They will attack you. Don't hate them. They're blind. They're ignorant. Even the most intelligent of them, they're blind and they're ignorant. And you need to have that compassion, just like you would for someone who's naturally blind. Hopefully, you don't see a naturally blind person or person who's lost their, their sight and just hate them because they're blind. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? Be cruel. Or someone who has some mental incapacities for you to just to hate them. We need to understand that spiritually, those that hate us and hate the Bible and reject the authority of the Bible, they're just blind. They're ignorant. They need the light of the gospel. And so as much as they ridicule us, we don't hate them. We don't retaliate against them. Like so many Christians today, they, they just retaliate against the world. The world hates us, and so we're going to hate them back. That's not the gospel. We're to love our enemies. But loving them does not mean, which the other extreme of Christianity, well, we're to love everybody, so I'll just accept all lifestyles. I'll accept what everybody wants to do. No, to love our enemies means that we say what God says about everything, and we stand firm with love, with compassion, with patience, giving others the opportunity to know the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that will change them. Don't let the world intimidate you. Believe what God says to be true. And those that claim science, you hear that a lot today, don't you? Science this and science that. I believe in science. True science never contradicts the Bible. And science is fascinating. What little bit that I understand of it and natural things. To me, it's fascinating to learn more about the infinite wisdom and power of my creator. I am not anti-science. But those that insist that, well, I believe science, ask them when it's appropriate. Has science ever been wrong about anything? Have they ever had to go back and change what they declared to be right for so long? And if they're honest, they will find experience after experience where science said, you know, we got this wrong, but now because of new evidence, this is what is true. Science has always had to evolve. I believe in evolution, the evolution of false science. There's never been an archaeological discovery that has ever proven the Bible to be wrong. But there's been countless times when people say, well, the Bible's wrong because it talks about this king or this city, and we've never found any evidence of it. It's just wrong. It never existed. It's a fable. And then lo and behold, somebody digs up something and finds the name of the king in exactly the place where the Bible said it was. Oh, we're sorry. The Bible was right. It's always right, even when men don't know it yet. So don't be intimidated. We can stand on the, the accuracy of Scripture. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 3 about the wise of this world. He's chosen us, the foolish ones, the base, to confound the wise. And one day, everyone would know that those foolish Christians got it right. Not because they were so intelligent or so wise, but because they believed the all-wise creator. Dedicate yourself. Paul told Timothy, 
Be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study. Be diligent to know what God says and then believe it and then let it govern your life. Too much of what passes for religion and faith today is nothing more than tradition, superstition, or sentiment and has no foundation in the Bible. Believe what you believe because the Bible declares it to be so. Not because Brother Doug says it's so, but because the Bible says it's so. That's the only way you're going to be grounded in truth, is to have that personal faith. Be like the Bereans, that when Paul preached to them the word of God, they searched the scriptures to see if it was so. That's how you should examine and judge every sermon that you hear, everything that you read, everything that you hear. Search the scripture. Is that true? Does the Bible say it's true? Paul, when he was getting ready to be offered up before the last time that he saw the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, in verse 32, he says, Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. This is why we give so much place to the teaching and the preaching of the Bible in our our assembly. You don't find that in a lot of churches. Most modern churches today, in order to attract the crowd, especially a younger crowd, the focus is on singing, on entertainment, on the visual, on the sensual, to appeal to the senses. But only the Word of God can penetrate to the spirit and to the soul. The Word of God is the only thing that has power to change you, not clubs. And I've said it over and over again, I'm not against social activity. We are a social creature. God created us that way. We need that social contact. We need those various things that that other churches focus on and make it their priority. I'm not saying that those things in and of themselves are bad. In fact, I believe they're necessary in the proper place. But the Word of God is to have the preeminence in our life, because only then can Christ be preeminent in our life. Let's close with 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Really, the best way to, to know that the Bible is God's word is to do what David encouraged others to do. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. I've never once regretted submitting to the authority of God's word in my life. Never once. I do regret when I have failed to walk in faith in what the Bible says. I've dedicated my life to walking according to the instruction of the Word of God. And when I've been faithful to do that, it's the best possible life. There is peace that passes understanding. There's joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I have, as a pastor and just as a human being, observing the lives of those who've rejected the authority of the Bible, I've seen the turmoil, the strife, the pain, the loss that comes from ignoring the instruction of Scripture, not only in the, the unsaved, but in God's people. And then I've noticed and I've experienced that when those that surrender to the will of God for every area, every relationship, every area of their life, there's a joy. Even in the midst of tears, there's a peace knowing things don't look good right now, but I'm okay because he's still in control. He cannot lie, and he's promised me glory. 
He's given me wisdom to make decisions that were beyond my human wisdom. If I would have tried to figure out my life and line it up, it would have been much different than, than the life that I actually lived. I'm glad I yielded and recognized my own foolishness and weakness as a youth, and I surrendered it to the all-wise God. I do not regret it. First Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, Paul said, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which, is, which also effectively works in you who believe. The word works there is the thought of energy. The word of God has energy to change you, to cause you to live a life of godliness with all of its benefits that begin in this life and that reach its fullness in eternity. May we do the same that we might experience the same glorious power of God working in us and through us to change us as we anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we close with a song.